Well, welcome, guys, to, to the midway point of the Alpha course. Thank you for being here. It's wonderful to have you all back. Did anybody here for the first time? Any first timers here? No? Okay. I know you've slept through the previous three, so. so anyway, it is great to have you back. Great to have you guys watching live stream or through video delay. Uh, hope you're enjoying the course uh, tonight. I'm very excited about the evening. Um, just want how many of you guys have made it all four weeks? You made it all four weeks. Wow. Okay, that's pretty good. How many of you have made it? Uh, you haven't made it, but you've been able to watch everything to date. Okay, that's. You may still be in line for perfect attendance, so we just we'll keep that, and we'll talk to the principal at the end of the course to see. Um, but uh, tonight, how can we have faith? Uh, again, I oh here are my notes. Okay. You know, if, if we were, I, I'm not a big fan of the faith because uh, the faith, I'm not a big fan of the, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of this faith. They just, um, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the title of this chapter. Um, but uh, if I, if, if Alpha were to let me entitle this chapter, and of course they won't, uh, it was, a, can I be sure of my faith? Because every one of us have faith. We talked about that in week session one. We all have faith. An atheist has faith. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh, because even the most ardent of atheists would say, if you, if you drew a big circle and you just gave the atheist a pen to just draw within the circle what he believes is his amount of knowledge, he wouldn't even come close to filling that circle. So, but we all have faith. And through the years, we've all believed some, some very interesting things uh, or have heard of people that have believed interesting things or had interesting concepts of of how we think or we hope or we believe we're going to have peace with God or we're going to be okay with God, you know, what our purpose is on earth and where are we going to be on the other side of our last heartbeat. We hope we know that it's going to be good and we, we, we hope that is true. And that's, that's, but I introduced you to this last week. It's, it's probably based off of this model of religion that every world religion believes, with the exception of biblical Christianity, believes that there is a chasm between man and God, there's a separation between man and God, and that some of it, there's relative goodness. And, that, and, and man has just come up with all kinds of different ways. So in Islam, you may have the five pillars of faith, and Mormonism, uh, part, well, Mormonism is an interesting uh, faith in and of itself, um, which I, I'll, I'll skip that in going into that, but Buddhism is really an atheistic religion. Um, so all of these, all of these religions, you know, the, the eightfold path of enlightenment for the Buddhist, you know, the, the, those who say, you know, whatever you, whatever is your truth, you know, whatever is your truth is truth. And, you know, we talked about that in week one as well, but even I have put here cultural Christianity because there's a lot of places that may have a cross on the building, but they don't believe the Bible. They, they believe more in, in the social mores than they do the scripture. They believe more in their traditions than they do the scriptures. Uh, and so every religion is basically a, an effort of man to try to come up with an idea whereby they're okay with God. You just have to, so you have to keep the rules. If you keep the rules, you're going to be okay. The problem is, we don't, we don't even keep our own rules, much less Ten Commandments or five, you know, uh, the Eightfold Path of Enlightenment or the Five Pillars of Faith. We don't even keep our own rules. We, though, I love rules. Don't you love rules? I love rules for other people. Uh, you know, so like, you don't drive like an idiot, but don't get upset with me if I drive like an idiot. So, so we like that, but we don't even keep our own rules. The things we put on other people, we ourselves don't even keep. We don't keep our own rules. But I want to show you here that even the people, the big money people, they put rules out there, but they actually don't even expect you to keep them. So I wanted to show you this. These are the pool rules from the Arlington Gateway Hotel. Now, if you go to Arlington, you go to the Arlington Gateway Hotel, 801 North Glebe Road, Arlington, Virginia. I took a picture of the pool rules from the Arlington Gateway with my own cell phone. So this is why the, the quality is not that great. But here's the first pool rule from the Arlington Gateway Hotel. 
If you've had diarrhea in the past two weeks, please do not use the pool. Now, my question with that is, don't use the pool for what? Okay, pool rule number two, shower your child and yourself before entering the pool or after using the toilet. Really? Okay, I'll start doing that. I guess, um, pool rule number three, bathers who are not toilet trained or bathers from other continents. Um, have you ever wondered why that, where is that? Or incontinent, must wear a swim diaper. I'm not making this up, I promise you. My wife was there when I took the picture. Now, just to show you, they do not expect you to keep any of these rules. There's rule number four. Do not drink the pool water. (laughs) So, all kinds of rules, but nobody really keeping those rules. So last week, we looked at some scriptures that present a, a challenge to the validating performance record religion that we all have a way of keeping. We, we want to have a record of performance that validates us, we hope validates us before God. Um, but we, we run into scriptures like this. I didn't even know these scriptures existed. That all have sinned and come short of that which is acceptable to God, the glory of God, the holiness of God. None is righteous, none is acceptable, none is not guilty, not even one and I ran into all these things and then I started personalizing them to me. Frank, you have sinned. You've lied, you've cheated, you've coveted. You know, therefore you're unacceptable in your efforts, even your best efforts to God. And I just I had a problem with that. And then last week I introduced you something even worse, and that's the thought monitor. For those of you who were here last week, I mean the thought monitor reveals the things that I think that you don't see. And so even the thoughts that we have basically prove that we do not come close to being acceptable to God. And so it's universal. We as man develop or design a view of God so that we get to define how good we need to be based on our own meology. Not a biblical theology, but my own meology. And again, this will this will just bring us right back to this, okay? Who determine who makes up the gap here? We all agree that we're not perfect, but who's supposed to make up the gap? Does God just, just have, a, have a celestial broom and a rug where he just kind of sweeps the remaining imperfections of me under the rug? What happens with the gap? Because none of us in this room would, the most arrogant of us would not say, I'm perfect. I asked you guys, I think two weeks ago, how many of you kept up all the Ten Commandments? Not one hand went up, and I don't think any of us knew the Ten Commandments either. And so, so here is the issue that we have. I mean, we're all basically meological relativists. You may want to write that down. You're, we're all meological relativists. We make up religion. And the, and the Bible has a statement, why are there so many religions? And it really has to do with, Scripture brings this out, that we don't have to deal with a holy God. We don't have to deal with perfection. We, don't want to ha- we realize we can't do that. And so we basically, we resist the truth of who Christ is. And we come up with religions on our own. Now, there's a whole lot more to be said than that. But this is just an introduction to Christianity. And so some of us just feel like we're good enough. I may not be perfect, but I'm better than most of you. Well, probably all of you. But we, we may not be perfect, but... And then maybe some of us feel like, and probably some of us in this room tonight, feel like we're just too bad. Probably some of us in this room that feel like, I've just made too many mistakes. I've just done too many bad things for God to ever accept me. That's meology as well, by the way. You've made up your own religion that says you're not good enough and nothing can make you good enough. So whether you're on the pride side of meology you know, or the self-pity side of meology, it's all meology. And so it's important for us to know that. So, so not all of this is a hopefulness to earn acceptance. And, uh, and from the comparative religion model, there comes 
some different examples that maybe you can relate to. I certainly could with these three examples. Now, I want you to think. Now, we're talking about can I be sure. I want to, just these models that I'm going to put up in just a minute. How secure would these models be of, for you, if this was the truth as to your being acceptable to God? So maybe, maybe God, maybe God grades on a curve, okay? Nobody's perfect. He's not going to flunk the whole class. And so maybe he grades on a curve. So if, if it's left up to you, where are you going to put yourself? This is, this is failing. This is passing. Where, where do you think you're going to put yourself in this? I mean, come on, really. Anybody in the room going to fail themselves for eternal hell and damnation? Okay, nobody hates himself that much. Okay. So, but if, if this is me, I'm going to probably make it just about, I mean, right there. Okay, so, so the thing is, you just, if you just hang out with really bad people, all right? Just hang out with people that are really bad. Just be a little bit better than they are. And you can feel a lot better about yourself, and you, you know, you'll probably be okay. That's meological relativism. Okay. Or maybe in heaven, there's just these big scales in heaven. Okay. This, this is mine. I just felt like there are these, these, these scales in heaven, right? And so, so here, you're, here these little negative signs are your, the negative things that you've done, the wrong things that you've done. At least the, the problem in heaven is that none of them get hidden. They all come up. And then, then on the on this other side of the scale, there's there's some plus signs. Let me need a few more plus signs. Okay, anybody feeling really good right now? If you get to go to heaven, and here's here's what your scale looks like. I mean, I'm probably going to want to add a few more pluses in here. The problem with this is what you and I may be considering plus signs may actually be negative signs because what was the motivation by which I did the right thing? Let's say you have a rich aunt, and you hear she's dying. Suddenly, you love your rich aunt terribly. And you go over there all the time. You pick up groceries for her. You wash your cat. Whatever you do, you know, you, just whatever. And everybody goes, ah, oh, that Frank. Oh, I loves that woman. No, I'm hoping to get written into the will is what's happening here. And so even I don't even necessarily know the motivation by which I would call something good or negative. So, so how secure can we do, be with this? Because what's my motivation? What is that? And so, I mean, even, again, let me just pull this out of the, the Quran right here. Surah 23, verses 102 and 103. Then those whose scales are heavy, they are successful. And those whose scales are light are those who lose their souls in abiding hell. So this is straight from the Muslim Bible. Okay? If you're... If you're Works are heavy. If your works are light, it determines where you're going. Okay? Who's the final determiner? How secure do you feel with that? That's really a good question. How secure do you feel if there's a curve scale or if there's a scale scale? If we really think about that, not very secure. Because all this time I'm thinking about, have I done enough? As religious as I've been, have I done enough? How good is good enough? Now, maybe, maybe there, you know, heaven, you know, how, you know, heaven, what is heaven? Heaven is clouds. Heaven is fat little angels playing harps, bouncing from the, the trampolines of the clouds. I mean, things must get boring up there, right? And so because they do, God comes up with a game show. Okay, so God comes up with a game show, and the game show, it's got intro music and everything. The game show is called Hot or Not. Now, the way you play Hot or Not, you guys are thinking, what is this guy? Uh, the, way, the way you play Hot or Not is, well, first off, you have to be dead to play Hot or Not. So you just picture this, this roulette wheel in heaven. Okay, this massive roulette wheel. And everybody that's ever lived is on this roulette wheel, okay? Now, like I said, you have to be dead to play. So who's willing to be dead right now just to play hot or not? Okay, I'll pick you anyway. All right, so um, let's see. Hmm. Who will I choose here? There's so many to choose from. Hannah, let's choose you, okay? So now, Hannah, this is how it works. We're going to spin the wheel... Okay, you're standing there. There's this spot. 
Now, whoever of all the people that have ever lived come when the roulette wheel stops next to you will determine whether you are hot or not. So let's just see how good you've been. Hannah, now, just so when you just say stop and we'll stop the roulette wheel. Okay, so we spin the wheel. You just go ahead and say stop when you want us to stop. Or stop whenever you want. Okay. Okay, let's see who it is. Oh! Luke, what do you think? She's okay? All righty. Okay, who will we choose now? Chris, how about you? Chris, let's play hot or not. Just say stop. Stop. Oh! Paul, what do you say? Is it? All right. All right, here we go. One more. Mr. Barreca, are you ready to play hot or not? (laughs) Just say stop. Oh. Would the ushers please come forward? The guy here in the white T-shirt. Now, that's really stupid, isn't it? Okay. But here's the thing. We hope, we think, I mean, we certainly hope it's not that, but really when you and I think about it, if you or I died tonight, how sure are you? So let me just give you the, the meological relativist test. Um, let's say right now that you, well, let me just break it to you. The chef, a couple of you got some spiked dinners. Okay, sorry. Um, Suddenly you're starting to feel tired. Now, it's not my presentation. It's the food. You've been poisoned, okay? Next thing you know, your head hits the table. You're out. You're dead. And next thing you know, you're standing in the presence of Jesus. Okay, just just go there with me. Okay? All right, I'm there. Um, And Jesus asks you this question. And he says, um, didn't quite expect to be here tonight, did you? No. He said, listen carefully. Why should I? Jesus says to you, hey, Troy, why should I let you into my heaven? Now think about that. He asks you that question. He's not asking everybody. That He's just asking you. You're the one that's dead. Why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I think I passed on the curve scale. I think, I think my weights, my good works outweigh my bad works, I think. Um, see, if right now, if, if you are generating a list in your brain of the good things that you think you've done and that you've been better than so-and-so and these people and those people, you've kind of... You've, you've, you've passed the meological relativist test. But you haven't passed the biblical test. See, the question is, is it my validating performance record that gives me peace with God that makes me sure of my faith? Or is it the validating performance record of someone else that passed the test and lived the perfect life that I could not live and died the death I deserved to die. Well, let's again, let's look at scripture because I've told you guys several times, I'll keep saying this, don't believe a word I'm telling you. What does scripture say? Not what does my denomination say? What does your denomination say? What does the scripture say to each and every one of us? So let me just pull something from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, which is so important. Now, I've, these, this is not the red letter edition, um, but I put these in red letters so that for emphasis, and it also helps me remember the point I want to make. But here's what Paul writes to the church at Rome in the, in the first century. He says, but if it, now that it is salvation, full forgiveness, full acceptance is by grace. Remember what grace is, unmerited favor, getting that which we don't deserve. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Do you hear that? Such an important thing to hear. See, if I say to you, I want to give you a gift. I give you this gift. Chuck, let's say I gave you the gift. 
Now say, Chuck, you can keep this gift as long as you do all the things I tell you to do and don't do any of the things I tell you not to do. Is that a gift? No. Because you're still earning this. So understand this. So important. I'm going to share with you a couple other scriptures in a bit. But if it's by grace, it can't. It's either one or the other. Grace plus works equal works. If I have to earn something, it's not a gift. And this is the point that Paul is making. And Paul gave his life for this. Paul put his life into the Jewish religious system. And he was well accepted, applauded, totally successful. And he threw all of that away based on what he came to experience of the resurrected Jesus Christ, believing that it was no longer what he did that gave him acceptance before God. It was what Christ did. And so again, we look at this, uh, this picture here of comparative religion, that every religious effort is man attempting to somehow reach God. But biblical Christianity, not cultural Christianity, says God does in Christ what we can't do for ourselves. And he gives us a place that we could never have based on our own efforts. This is how great God's love is for us. Now, again, it may not be true, but this is biblical Christianity. This is what the scripture shows clearly. And that is what the resurrected body of Christ, I think, brings the corroborative evidence to support. So, the question is, what do I believe qualifies me? See, there is a stone wall between these two. They can't both, do you understand? And if you want to just nod your head for a minute, I know some of you are doing that already. But do do you see that the two are in contradistinction to one another? They, are, they cannot both be true. This, the law of non-contradiction says it can't be works and grace and be only grace. Either one of them is correct and the other one false, or this one correct and that one false, or maybe they're all nonsense. Do we see that? But it can't, they can't both be true. So what do I believe qualifies me for what the Bible says I need? I need forgiveness. I need Christ's righteousness. I need his acceptance. Is it my performance record or is it Christ's performance record? If it's my performance record, think about this. I then become my own savior. I may have received, I may have the gift of Christ. I may believe in Christ, but it's incumbent upon me to make sure I'm keeping all the religious rules that I get to keep the gift. There's not any, I said, with all due respect, there's no assurance in that. There is only assurance what the Bible says is true in one who said he would live the perfect life, lived the perfect life, paid the penalty for our rebellion, and said, my past, present, and future is completely In the hands of the one who passed the test. Who kept all the rules that you and I could not keep. So, page 24, how can we have faith? Now, the Bible teaches that God wants us. Okay, here's what the Bible teaches. Hear me again. Here's what the Bible teaches. Check it out for yourself. The Bible teaches that God wants us to know for sure what our standing is before him. And whether heaven is going to be our home, the split second our heart stops, or whether it's not. Now, if I could could just snap my fingers tonight and have my way, every one of us who's in this room, every one of us watching live stream or video delay, would, at the end of this talk, you would leave here with certainty. No equivocation whatsoever. You'd leave here absolutely in your mind saying, yes, I know. Heaven is my home. Or if what the Bible's saying is true, no, heaven is not my home. There's no, as we in New Orleans say, there's no neutral ground. There's no median. 
here. So I would hope that each of us would leave here with assurance that according to the Bible, uh, we would see that we either are, as the Bible defines a follower of Christ, one or, as the Bible defines, not a follower of Christ. Now, uh, so... uh, Something. I mean, if you want to write this down, I think this would be good. And I don't know why I don't have it on the screen, and I apologize for that. But here's a, here's a statement that is kind of totally different than something you may be used to. And if you want to write this down, great. If not, just kind of hold it and maybe stick it in your brain. Christianity is first about becoming someone. Christianity is first. Biblical Christianity is about first becoming someone before... It's about doing something. Christianity is first about becoming someone before it's about doing something. Now that's totally contradictory to a validating performance record religion. It's about doing and hoping you've done enough. But biblical Christianity shows that. Now, let me just give you, uh, again, let me corroborate that through the scripture. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, last week, if you were here last week or you watched last week, Remember, I told us this week we're going to make a big deal over this two-letter I-N word. And we are going to make a big deal over this two-letter word. Because this is the most important thing. Because this shows us whether we are in Christ or not in Christ. It's important for us to see that. So if anyone, that would be anyone in this room has this possibility. If anyone is in Christ... He is a, he becomes a new creation. Something that's new never was. So you become a brand new creation. The old, who you were, has passed away. And you, and the new, has come. So, here's something else that was kind of difficult. I'm going to drop something on you right now that's kind of difficult for me to believe when I first heard this. But then I just started looking at the Bible and it says, okay, either I'm right Or the Bible's right. The Bible teaches that we were born physically creations of God. We were born physically as creations of God. But when we are born spiritually, when we become, if we become new creations, we then become children of God. And you you hear it all over, the children of God. Now, that we're all children of God. Well, according to the scripture, with all due respect, that would not be a biblically correct answer. We're all born as creations of God, as marred image bearers of God because of our sin. But we're not, according to the scripture, children of God. Let me just... Show you. So how, do, how does that happen? What, what, what are you talking about? What does the scripture say? Well, let's see what the scripture says. So in the first chapter of the gospel of John, the 11th and the 13th verses, this is what John writes. He, that's Jesus, came to his own, yet his own are the Jews, yet his own did not receive him. Right? He was rejected by his own. Obviously, the first believers in Christ are Jews, but the preponderance of them did not believe him yet. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, that word is also uh, translated power, to, here's this word, say it, become, you can't become what you already are, can you? No, you can't, you're already that way, right, to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of husband, uh, a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Okay, so do we see this here? To all who received him. Remember last week, if you were here last week, artist who's not here this week, I, I gave him this, I said, you want a gift? You, would, you, want a, you want this gift? And he said he did. 
I said, I've done everything I can to get for you. It'll save your life. Do you want it? And he said he did. And when did it do him any good? When he received it. Okay, so the gift can be out there. And you and I may choose not to receive it. I may feel like I don't need to receive it. I may not know what that even means to receive it. But there's a gift, according to the Bible, his name is Jesus. He's the gift that God gave. So that if we believed in his name, we're going to talk about what believed biblically means in just a minute. He gave the right to become, you can't become what you are. Not just creations of God, but children of God. Children of God. And then Jesus tells the, the, the teacher, the Jewish businessman teacher, Nicodemus. He says, remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he said, Jesus, nobody could do the stuff you're doing, man, unless God were with you. That's what he said. He comes to Jesus. He comes at night. says, nobody could do this stuff. The miracles that you're doing just couldn't be done if God were not with you. And, and Jesus doesn't say, thank you for acknowledging that. I appreciate that, Nicodemus. You know, he just gets cuts right through Nicodemus' words. And he says, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born again... He cannot see. He didn't say might not see. Possibly won't see. He said he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he made it clear. Now, I, when I heard born again, that just, you know, that just send up antennas like, okay, you know, I think, I thought Billy Graham came up with the term born again. I, I didn't know that was something that Jesus actually said. So then he went on to say this, Nicodemus, flesh, gives birth to flesh. Loria gives birth to Loria. Vogel gives birth to Vogel. Boudreaux gives birth to Boudreaux. Bourgeois gives birth to Bourgeois. Okay? Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Okay, now do you see the, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. To as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Because remember last week we talked about this, and I know you enjoyed this very much. So, we talked about the fact that we are, we have a physical umbilical cord that gets cut, right? When we come out of our mother's womb. Does this one say death? Okay, good. All right. I wanted you to be able to see the outlet. So, so, but spiritually, we are plugged into death. We're plugged into death when we're born physically. But if anyone is in Christ, he becomes a new creation because he receives new life. He's been born spiritually. He's been born, she's been born a second time. Okay? That which is born of the flesh, Loria is Loria. Physically alive, spiritually dead. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You, got, you may have Loria life, Frank. And as awesome as that is, it's not going to get you anywhere with me. You need the Lord's life. You need spiritual life. See, and, and that's, that's the thing. It's not my... I, a dead person can't good works themselves enough to give themselves life can't generate enough friction to go from death to life. And so, Jesus makes a big deal over the fact that we need new life. And so the Bible teaches that the entire human race was born spiritually dead in Adam. And the ramifications of that is death. Now, so let me just give you another couple of scriptures here. This is from Paul's letter to the Romans. He says, therefore, just as through one man, sin, one man, sin entered into the world. Okay, who's that one man? Okay, so Adam. Okay, so let me just, I have some very expensive props here. Okay, so through Adam, we'll associate Adam with death. Okay, through, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through his sin. 
Okay? It doesn't say just as through one man sin entered into that man, though it did. The whole world is now accountable, responsible, because of that one man's sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Well, wait a minute. I wasn't born when Adam sinned. I mean, how fair is that? Well, the issue, it's not an issue of fairness. It's an issue of inheritance. So I get the spiritual DNA of my father, Adam. That's what, that's what, the, that's what biblical theology is. And there's ample evidence to prove it through the way we humans treat one another. So just as through one man's sin, one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to everybody in this room because all sinned. So then, here's the good news. As through one transgression, there result, resulted condemnation, separation from God to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification, not guilty, righteous, accepted to all men. And so we have here the in Christ cup. So, in Adam, all have sinned. All of us, born of woman, have been born into, born of man, born of woman, have been born into sin. But there's a work, there's a new birth that the Bible says we need that gives us a new life. So let me lay this out for you in a a little bit of a diagram. And so... Oh, let me just, let me, I'm sorry. I have one more part scripture here. For as through one man's disobedient, the many were made. I want you to hold on to that for a minute. Sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Do you see, are these active verbs or passive verbs? Got a bunch of English grammar students here. Okay. So, um, we're made. You, it was put upon you. You, you didn't have anything. You were born into it. You were made that way. It didn't say you made yourself that way. So through the disobedience of the, the many were made sinners, we get that by inheritance. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many, through the obedience of who? One, the many will be made, let's pass it again, Righteous. It's just a very important point. So let me just show you the, this analogy. So, so in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says, For in Adam all die, all are separated, all are plugged into death, okay? All are plugged into death. So let me just show you that. So now let me just give you an example right now of what this looks like. So, um, gosh, I just love to use everybody as a, an example here and... Uh, John, you're way in the back. Let me use you. Okay, John, John, this is you. John Spooner. Look a little thin here. But John, if, you're, if, if your parents never were, John, where would you be? Good answer. You would never be, right? Now, if your parents' parents never were, where would your parents be? Good answer. You don't know whether he's answering correctly or not. But... <laughs> So, so, John, who's your daddy? <laughs> so you just follow the line, okay? We, all of us are born into Adam's race, okay? Now, what happens? God gives Christ. Christ comes. Christ dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for our sin so that we can be born again, taken out of Adam and placed into Christ, And so for in Adam all die, but in Christ, there's that two-letter word again, in Christ. Okay, in Adam, in Christ, the many shall be made what? If you're already alive, do you need to be made alive? No, of course not. But there's a difference between being alive physically and being alive spiritually according to the scripture. And so when one... To as many as receive him, to when one receives Christ, if anyone is 
in Christ, he becomes a new creation. Why? Because he or she is in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And so God takes us out of Adam, places us into Christ, and the old is gone. It's gone. Because you've received, you've received new life. You haven't received an opportunity to receive new life. You haven't received new life. Now, Chuck, you better do a good job. And these are all the things you have to do to keep that life. Would you say that to your children? Hey, Joey, you're my son. Now, these are the things you need to do to maintain being my son. Now, you may want to say that. You may have said that in anger. But if we do a DNA test, ah, Joey's your son. If you do a spiritual DNA test, if you're in Christ, you may not be the best in Christ person ever, but you're in Christ. And the more you and I understand that, the more we live like that. Because now there's a heart of gratitude, not, oh God, I hope I, hope I die on a good day. I, I, I hope God will accept me. I hope I've been good enough. Let me do some more good things because I don't want to go to hell. Let me do some more good things because I need that new job. That's meology. That's BVM religion. See, that's not biblical Christianity. It, it, it may be Islamic religion. It may be Buddhist religion. It may be Hindu religion. It may be Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnessism or any otherism. But it is not biblical Christianity. So, here's what Paul says. Let's bring, come back to that 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she is a new creation. The old, you're no longer an Adam, has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everything has become new. You are now, in, you may live like at times you're in Adam. I've done that more times than I know. But that does not determine my identity and my life. The old is gone, the new has come. I am umbilically, spiritually plugged into Christ. And if there's ever been any good news, that's great news. Because you just don't want to be in Adam's family, right? I mean, who, who wants to be in Adam's family? That would be a damn shame. Okay. Does anybody not know who the Adam's family is? Come on. Okay, good. All right. You see, it's not that old of a joke. Okay. So does God want us to be sure? Does God want us to know for sure? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says God wants us to know for sure. I'm just going to give you um, one scripture, and then I'll give you a couple more. <laughs> Here's John in his letter. Now, John is writing to those who are no longer in Adam, but are in Christ. That little one John there, that's not the gospel of John. This is the first letter of John to those who are in Christ. Okay? He says this, and this is a testimony. Here it is. Here is your testimony that God gave us past completed action, eternal life, new life, life in Christ. And this life is where? In his son. This caught me. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God oops, does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may think you have eternal life, that you may hope you have eternal life, that you may pray you have eternal life, that you may keep your fingers crossed that you have eternal life. Um... The Bible says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Tonight, would you like to know you have eternal life? Not hope you have eternal life. Not pray you have eternal life. Not think you can have eternal life. Well, if what the Bible says is true, if you want to know you have eternal life, you receive the one who is eternal life. If you want to know you don't have eternal life, 
don't receive the one who says his life gives you life. It's a gift that is free and always will be free. And the response now of works is a response of love, not fear. See, religion does things to be accepted. In Adam, religious activity does things hoping God will accept me and not reject me. In Christ, works are motivated by love, not because I want to be accepted, but because somehow God has accepted the likes of me in Christ. Do you see the difference? It's a massive difference. It's a biblical difference. So what do we see here? The word of God tells us that God is the initiator. That he pursues us. This is on page 25 as well if you want to look there, but you don't have to. Okay, let me just give you another scripture. God's the initiator. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still in Adam, we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He died in our place. Since, therefore, we have now, here's, look at this, past perfect, right? We have now been justified, past completed by what? By his blood plus your religious works. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. Been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. He goes on to say this. In the Gospel of John, John writes, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. You want eternal life? Then you have to say no to trying to give yourself life by any amount of religious activity that you attempt to exercise. They will never... See what that says? I give them eternal life. They will... They may perish. They may just kind of slip out of Christ and back into Adam. You know, maybe that'll happen. No, it says they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, if this is true, what I've just been talking to you about the last 20 minutes or so, are, those, are these statements of security? Would you say that these are statements that are amazingly certain and give assurance and a clear answer, not based on our relative, meological relativity, but based on the work of someone else? I would argue yes. So we have security because we're birthed into and joined to and held onto by Christ, by his strength, not by our own. And I have got to hurry. So on page 25 again, I just, I just say page 25 just so you think I'm in the manual and I'm not doing my own thing. I just, um, we should really do our own manual, I think. Um, Faith equals, you see this, faith equals taking God's promises and daring to believe them. All right? Taking God's promises and daring to believe them. These are some really daring things we've said tonight. Uh, the daring things that the scripture says. Okay? Well, let me just give you um, an example. Because when it comes to faith and believing a promise, believing a promise means you're responding. There has to be a response We'll talk about, give you two analogies here. Let's go to uh, Niagara Falls. Okay? Anybody been to Niagara Falls? Oh, you, I think you're the youngest person that's ever gone to Niagara Falls. Um, I, I went, finally got to go there. But back on June 30th, 1859, a guy by the name of Charles Blondin took a tightrope and wrap, and took that tightrope from one side of the Niagara Rapids, not the Niagara Falls, but I'm showing you that anyway, the Niagara Rapids one side, because people have, people have survived falling the rapids, falling the falls, falling off the falls, but no one has ever survived the rapids. You should see the rapids. They're, they're mean. 
So let's just say Blondin takes that tightrope, he pulls it from one side to the other, and he just does some amazing things. And uh, let's say this crowd, we've all gone to Niagara together, and Blondin's done this, and Blondin, you know, we, he comes up, and we applaud him and everything else, and he says to us, I can take a person, put him in a wheelbarrow, and take him from one side of the falls to the next. Anybody here believe me? He said, well, wait, before I put you on the spot, let me do this. So he takes a, a wheelbarrow, and he, and he puts... Um, just about 150 pounds of rocks in the wheelbarrow. And he takes that wheelbarrow from one side to the next. And he comes back and says, okay, I can take a person, put him in a wheelbarrow, take him from one side of the, fall, the falls, the rapids to the next. Do you believe me? Anybody believe me? You do? Then get in. Now, next week, I'm going to conclude that analogy but getting in is believing there's a difference between mental assent saying i believe something and then putting my my took us in the wheelbarrow okay but next week this is like to be continued the analogy will be continued but you see we can go to that blonde and show and we'd be curious oh that's interesting yeah nice stuff man looks that's interesting i don't know that i buy into this it could be a bunch of mirrors who knows if this is true or not or we could be convinced that he could do this yeah see curious is i'm not sure you can do it or not i don't really believe any of this stuff you're doing or not convinced is i can i believe you can do it but i ain't getting in <laughs> right i'm convinced you can do it you know i you know, put lisa in there i'm convinced you know but I ain't, i'm not getting in okay and but then there's committed. See, committed says, I'm committing 100% of myself into your ability, Mr. Blondin, to get me from one side of the falls or the rapids to the next. It's not, I'm committed to do it myself. Or I'm committed to take over halfway. I'm committed to your ability to do that. Or you could say, I'm surrendering 100% of myself into your ability to get me from one side to the next. Oh, you got to hear the rest of this next week. But so, and that's the same thing is true with biblical Christianity. You may be here tonight. Thank you for being here tonight or the weeks or watching. Curious. I don't know that I believe any of this Christian garbage, but it's interesting. I had nothing else to watch on TV. I'm watching this. This is good. Uh, are the meals too good to pass up? And so you just, I'm not sure. Hey, thank you for being here, Curious. Really, thank you for being here Curious. Like I said, at least when you leave Alpha, you'll at least know what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. Or maybe you're convinced. You've lived your whole life going to church, saying your prayers, being a good person, putting some money in the, in the kitty. But I ain't so sure about this, this additional thing you're talking about, this born again, this surrender stuff I, i'm not sure i i believe in jesus but i think this sounds a little bit far-fetched i'm convinced but i still think there's something i have to do to get myself into heaven okay well i, I respect that and i'm so glad you're here believing that truly thank you committed is surrendered committed is getting in the wheelbarrow and trusting the ability of one to get you from one side to the other. Because that's what Jesus did in the resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in him, is committed to him, will live, live even if he dies. And he who believes in him will never die, is what he said. He proved it by dying and coming back. So, God is the initiator. And so let's just talk about another example, because I can believe all the right things about God and, and never get in the wheelbarrow. So let me just give you a quick marriage analogy. Um, let's say Annette and I are standing before the minister the day we're going to get married, and the minister says to me, Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? And I say, Reverend, she is gorgeous. And I'd be proud to be seen with her. And he says, Frank, we would all agree she's gorgeous. Um, but do you take her to be your wife? 
And I say, well, she's a great cook. I know I'll never go hungry. Frank, we've tasted Annette's meals. We, we agree with that. Uh, but do you take Annette to be your wife? Well, preacher, um, her daddy's rich. And the day he dies, we're gonna be, I'll be in pretty good shape if I marry her. But, well, do you take her to be your wife? You see, I can believe all the right things about Annette. And never say two words. And those two words are the difference between being committed or convinced. You know what those two words are, don't you? I do. I do. If you don't say I do, you didn't. As much as all the things you may believe about her, she's still fair game for everybody else. That's why I said I do rapidly and before she woke up. Um, <laughs> now, here's the good news. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, go here with me. You've seen many pictures of TV shows with a character, a human being, hanging on a cross. Uh, not many have been good depictions because the way in which he was tortured w would not be able to even make it on today's screens, I don't think. But imagine you standing there as Jesus hangs there, blood pouring from his body, uh, this you know, three, four inch thorns crammed into his head, his back ribbons. And right before he dies, he looks you right in the face. And he calls you by name. And he says, Henry, I do. Mason, I do. And he dies. That I do echoes through history into tonight, into this moment, March 21st. He did. Here's the question. Do you? Because that which separates me from death and life is I do. He committed all he was to me so that I could have all he is forever. Now that's the message of the Bible. And if Christ is raised from the dead, which history, I believe, proves he is, that is good news. Anything short of that is not good news. Anything that I have to bring something of myself into is not good news. There is no assurance through my effort. But there is full assurance to the Son of God who lived a perfect life and paid the penalty for each and every one of our sins, past, present, and future. So that if anyone would be in Christ, say, I do, he would be a new creature. The old would pass away and everything would forever be new. That's the work of Jesus. That's the work of Jesus. And if you say, I do, you'll begin to sense the difference. You'll begin to sense like a, a weight is lifted off you. You're going to be more aware of sin, <laughs> which sounds counterintuitive. But suddenly the life of Christ in you now makes you more sensitive to everything. What's around you and the things that come out of your mouth and the things that go into your eyes. And you don't do that because, oh God, I'm a Christian now, I better be good. No, but because you have a new life. A new life has come. You, believe, you belong to a new family. You got a new father. And that's great news. But you know, the words are secondary to the heart. Now, last week I gave you a little card that was, had a bunch of words on it. Those, just a bunch of words. Because our heart says something before our mouth ever does. 
But if tonight, at 8 o'clock, you no longer want to be an Adam, you want your sins forgiven, you want to be justified, you want God to be your father, you want to know that forever you are his and no one can snatch you out of his hand, you're just two words away. I do. It has nothing to do with your denomination or your church. It has nothing at all to do with any of that. It has everything to do with you and Jesus. Jesus said, I do. What do you say, Frank? What do you say? Okay. Went a little bit long. I'm sorry for that. I've done that two weeks in a row. Um, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Get back to our tables and uh, enjoy our conversation. Next week, we talk about the Bible. Why should I read it? How do I read it? How can I make sense of it? Okay? Thank you all for being here. Hope to see you next week.